for Zizek and maybe Baudrillard, Lacan was a big deal, right? Still is for Zizek, he was a right? Big deal for all of those, all of those French philosophers of the post-war era. Lacan was a towering figure, and whether you agreed with him or disagreed with him, you had to you had to engage with his work on some level. And my thing is, I don't think a lot of the like Baudrillard has these these comments against Lacan in Symbolic Exchange and Death, and I, I like I said, I don't think they're very powerful. And I think I don't. I mean, I say this from a position of humility, but I don't think a lot of those guys really understood Lacan very well. I think they had, you know, been exposed to some of his early seminars. Most of them seem to focus on his his seminars of the 50s, where he's primarily focused on the symbolic. And, you know, his early work focused on the, the imaginary, the middle period focused on the symbolic. And in that middle period, he was showing how psychoanalysis must focus more on the symbolic than the imaginary. Again, we'll get to all the what these terms mean in a little while. But what they don't seem to focus on as much is the Lacan that Zizek and Badu and all of these great living thinkers have been influenced by, which is the Lacan of the real, of the of the last period, of the last, say, uh, you know, 15, 16 years of his seminar, where he shifts away from focusing on the symbolic and now focuses on the real. And so the imaginary, the symbolic, and the real, you could say, are his primary categories, right? Mm. They're the, they're the three main areas for lack of a better term right i'll use this term as like a preliminary term to just help people get attuned to what we're talking about the 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 imaginary the symbolic and the real are essentially the three main fields or areas or spaces of the human condition of the of human reality and so <clears throat> it's the Lacan of the real that's considered the Lacan. Like you could say that Lacan didn't really become his own thinker until his 11th seminar. That's, you could say that's where Lacan becomes Lacan. And I think a lot of these French thinkers who were highly influential in the sixties and seventies, I don't think they engaged much with that Lacan. They were primarily focused on the Lacan of the fifties, which is all about, the symbolic order, language, the signifier, signs, right? It's that Lacan that they were primarily interested in. And so I don't I don't think a lot of their comments really hold up uh, in light of the later Lacan. But so yeah, I, I told you before, I think Baudrillard is at his best when he's doing his own analyses and, you know, working out his own ideas. I don't think his criticism of other thinkers is is where he's at his best so, so but anyway this is, this is kind of a, a side tangent you know Baudrillard's not really the focus of this so no no it's just it's just that Lacan wasn't always your big focus you you kind of came to Lacan after being you've been through a lot of phases and you've kind of realized that Lacan is like this one of these final mountains that you almost have to conquer not only because he's so influential on the people you like but and by the way you can hear me all right on this microphone is this good? Yeah, I can hear you. You're right. Yeah, you, you. So this is like, it feels like you've you've done you've 
you cut you've you've done almost everything that you feel like most called to to first you know at least read through on a first go and some yeah. some stuff multiple times you know when it comes to Baudrillard or Heidegger or something like that but now now Lacan like you've really been getting into Lacan in the last I I saw you do it last year I saw you do it the year before there'd be like a phase where you kind of tackled one of the seminars for really hard for like a month long and by the way mm -hmm. folks there's like 22 25 like seminars what's that 27 depending on if you count the one that was unfinished i think there's 26 finished ones and 27 if you count the unfinished one so, so and yeah. each of them are at least like at, at the minimum they're 200 pages this is what makes them so difficult to get into right we've discussed this before where with Heidegger, of course, you're going to read Being and Time. Now, you can go on and you can read basic writings and you can read contributions to philosophy and all these other great works of his, but you're going to read Being and Time. With Marx, you're going to read Capital. There really isn't that singular text for Lacan. The closest we get is Seminar 11, but there's still so much that is part of Lacan's conceptual repertoire that isn't present in that book like the sexuation in seminar 20 the four discourses in seminar uh 17 you have the the seminar on the logic of fantasy which isn't even translated we don't have an official translation or there's not even an official translation in french of that one sadly um and so you know there's the seminar on the three registers that i mentioned real imaginary symbolic so he, his concepts are spread out across this sprawling seminar and I can say sadly, you know, there, there's my 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 dream is for somebody to write a secondary source, a commentary on the sem on the seminar as a whole, and basically devote ten or fifteen pages to each one of the seminars. So those of us new to Lacan could get this overarching idea of what what goes on across the seminar, but unfortunately that doesn't exist and something like that would take a whole lifetime of work to be able to pull off and I'm hoping at some point somebody does it because it would be immensely helpful mm. but right now we're kind of on our own where you have to go seminar by seminar and needless to say it's a very daunting task so yeah and I went from being kind of like a like fuck Lacan I don't see the point to being mm -hmm. like, I have sort of a wary, skeptical, like, okay, it seems worthwhile to then like, you know, now a few years later, I'm just like, well, he's one of the highest on my, on my, on my priorities overall, really he is. So well, here's, here, I guess if you want, like, here's my big pitch on Lacan, why, why Lacan's worth the effort. In my opinion, I think he's the greatest thinker of human subjectivity that's ever lived. And I know that's a huge statement. <laughs> it's a huge statement. But, for example, if somebody's interested in existentialism, think about, think about those great works of existentialism, whether you're talking about being in time, Heidegger's masterpiece, or Sartre's being in nothingness, even Merleau-Ponty's Phenomenology of Perception, uh, or even Husserl's, you know, more abstract formal kind of phenomenology where he's chasing after the very structure of experience and the the transcendental ego at least in his books the I, I, you know the ideas <clears throat> what they're all doing is essentially putting forth a theory of what it is to be human right 
that's what you get from being in time. You get Dasein, which is what he thinks makes human beings human beings. It's his, for, you know, he would call it the phenomenon of Dasein, right? But we can call it the concept of Dasein, right? It's his concept of what it is for human beings to be the beings that they are. Well, Sartre does the same thing in being nothing with his concept of the for itself, right? It's his theory of human consciousness and human identity, uh, human freedom. And so <clears throat> I was very interested in existentialism because one of the first philosophers I got into was Kierkegaard. And Kierkegaard's the same thing, right? He's a thinker of human subjectivity. And due to you know his Christian uh, orientation, it's a theory of subjectivity in relation to Christianity, to the Christian God, to Christian doctrine, to Christ, to the the blood sacrifice, right? I mean, Kierkegaard is an, a Christian existentialist, even though he would reject that term. Um, I've always been interested in what is it that makes us human, right? What is it that defines us? What are our ontological structures? Um, and if you're interested in the question of what it is to be human, I think you find Lacan is the most detailed, most nuanced thinker of human subjectivity. I mean, right there alongside Freud um, and Heidegger, right? I, I, I think he is, I think, I think he, I mean, in my opinion, he's the greatest thinker of human subjectivity. And that's what makes him worth it because subjectivity for him is not something that's just isolated. It's not the, the isolated monastic subject. All of these subjective dynamics that he describes have a complete bearing on our social reality, on politics, on pop culture, on uh, economics. All of this, all of these um, areas of the social field are intertwined with our subjective dynamics, right? And that sounds kind of abstract, but hopefully through this talk, we'll be able to flesh this out and give some examples that help make sense of this kind of thing. Can you talk a little bit about body of work is a return to Freud. That's what he thought he was doing. I mean, he even said, you know, I leave it to you. And he, to hear, here he's talking to his followers or his audience, his students. He says, here I leave it to you to be Lacanians. I myself am a Freudian. And so what he's doing is rethinking the most fundamental concepts of Freudian psychoanalysis. And the reason for this is because in his estimate, uh, many of Freud's crucial con uh, concepts and doctrines and ideas had been uh, watered down, bastardized, misunderstood by what he called ego psychology. And this was the primary psychological disposition in America. A lot of the Germans uh, fled Germany during World War II and they came here and uh, they brought with them what Lacan considered to be misunderstandings of Freud and they popularized ego psychology which is at the most basic level the idea that analysis involves the strengthening and the development of the ego not its undermining and so right and even a basic introduction to Freud you're going to be sitting there going how how did they get the idea of doubling down on the ego from him because it doesn't seem like he does that anywhere and yet that's how they interpreted him which was analysis was all about building up the ego strengthening the ego and we can think about it in terms of like building self-esteem 
building a good self-image, right? That's how you help people. And it's interesting. I mean, of course, that's if you want to get paid as an analyst, especially in America, with our egoistic consumer capitalist disposition, yeah, you, you're not going to get you're not going to get paid if you're constantly undermining people's consumer identities. You want to double down on them. You want to affirm them. You want to build them up. And so there was an economic incentive here to go in this direction as well. So here, here's here's why I'm so interested in Lacan, right? To get back to 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 why I think he's so important. So Marx does his thing. He writes his works, and then Freud comes along and changes the world with psychoanalysis. So in the 20th century, you had all of these philosophers who who figured out, hey, we can supplement Marx with Freud and we can supplement Freud with Marx and have a much broader theory of human reality that way, right? And so what they do, they want to marry political economy, Marx, with libidinal economy, Freud. And you get this in Adorno, you get this in Marcuse, you get this in Althusser, right. you get this in the early Baudrillard. D and G are still doing it. Zizek is, is still a kind of Freudo-Marxist. And so, what what do we mean by libidinal economy? Well, of course, libidinal refers to libido, which is it's sexual energy, and we can interpret that in different ways. But what libido, libidinal economy? really designates is the totality of our desires, our type of enjoyment, our fantasies, the signifiers that we libidinally invest in, um, uh, our, you know, it, it would involve our symptoms, it would involve all of the things that Lacan and, you know, and Freud spent their, their lives analyzing. And so that's what libidinal economy has to do with. And in the clinical setting, right, when you go into analysis, the analyst is focused on those very, those highly idiosyncratic aspects of your desire, your drive, your fantasy, and that's what analysis is all about. But someone like Zizek will say, yeah, but Don't fuck drive, fantasy, desire, they're Don't all at work in pop culture, politics, economics, and to truly have a kind of Marxist materialist critique of political economy, it requires taking these libidinal dynamics into account. And this is this is like how you combine Marx and Freud into one overarching form of critique. Yeah, so this, I mean, it's, it's subjectivity, it's ideology, it's material conditions, but we can't talk about the critique of political economy without bringing psychology to bear. We have to bring psychology into the picture if we want to talk about human subjectivities, how they form within their material conditions. Right. And so what Zizek does, he's in this long line of the thinkers of ideology. We start with Marx and Engels and what makes them who they are as ideological thinkers is they say, look, there are real states of affairs, i.e. They're, they're the material conditions, the structure of the economy. And what ideology does is it it gives it gives the workers uh, bad ideas, bad concepts. It makes us misrecognize that real state of affairs, 
And of course, this is in the interest of the capitalists, because if we misrecognize what's going on, if we have false consciousness, then they're able to control us and justify the power they have over us, right? So that's what ideology is for them. It's essentially bad concepts, false consciousness. And so what someone like Adorno does is he comes along and he, he, he's thinking in terms of, well, what ideology does is it, it has to do with our identity. He talks about this in Negative Dialectics. It has to do with our identity and it functions to repress difference. And what this means in this case is ideology is what we take to just be the given state of affairs, right? We don't see how it's socially constructed. We don't see how it's determined by all kinds of power dynamics and economic inequality. We just take it to be common sense, right? And that common sense or identity prevents us from thinking that there's alternatives, right? This is kind of, we're getting into Mark Fisher territory here. Uh, it keeps us from, in capitalist ideology, for example, would keep us from realizing that there's other ways of living, other ways to structure our economy. It wants to naturalize it and act like that the way a capitalist society does things is essential to human reality. Like there's no other alternative. So that's one way. But then Althusser comes along and Althusser is actually directly inspired by Lacan. And he, he takes what Lacan has to say about the, 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 the ego and what he would call symbolic authority, but we could just say institutional authority, that there's other right? ways of, and which has to do with the symbolic order. And so Lacan, uh, or I'm sorry, Althusser is focused primarily on those two orders that Lacan was interested in early on. So the imaginary, which has to do with the ego and the things we identify with, so on and so forth. And with the symbolic, which has to do with institutions, has to do with language, has to do with rules, law, regulations, prohibitions, authority, social authority. And so what he, what he misses though, and this is this is where Zizek takes Althusser's theory in another direction, is he misses the, the, the category of the real, the order of the real. And that's where Zizek uh, is an original thinker of ideology, is he takes Lacan's concept of the real and shows how that's more, even more than the imaginary and the symbolic, more than let's say ego, uh, how we identify our, you know, our conscious identities and law which is to say the rules the, the the prohibitions the standards the customs of our society that the real is what is the fundamental kernel or core of ideology and what that amounts to saying is uh it, you know there's a very marxist way of reading this which is you know capitalism has built-in contradictions in it there's certain tendencies in capitalism that on their own they seem fine but they're actually at odds with each other and so these built-in tensions or contradictions are always problematizing the functioning of the system itself there it's not like there's some exterior problem that has been injected into capitalism and causes it to have recessions and other sorts of problems it's that there's structural dynamics built inside of it that undermine its own functioning
We interrupt this conversation for a quick message from our sponsors. You may recognize this conversation from the past because it is actually a piece of a longer live stream. So what I've done is I've edited the conversations I had with Mikey down into smaller chunks and I will be releasing those serially until the launch of the Slavoj Zizek's For They Know Not What They Do course taught by Michael Downs and myself. I will be asking him the questions and hystericizing him along with a cohort of people who will be joining us live and in the forums as we do a close reading of what Slavoj Zizek claims is his most important theoretical work, more important than sublime objective ideology by far. He said that if you don't have anything to say about for they know not what they do, then keep silent when it comes to sublime objective ideology. But we don't just do close, thorough, hardcore readings. We also have some more introductory stuff. And so if you go to theory-underground.com forward slash events, then you'll be able to see the dates of all of the upcoming events. You see that the idea of the university taught by myself, Brian, and Anne, couple of educators who are very close to me and uh, we wanted to focus on Carl Jasper's short work The Idea of University as a way to start the year but it's also a way for Theory Underground to get off on the right track. The January 25th is the professional managerial class consciousness course that I'm co-teaching with Elton LK of the Working Class Intelligentsia podcast and then in February on the 25th of February launches GGX4 They Know Not What They Do. Mikey has spent two decades getting himself to the point where he feels confident enough to teach this book. And I think that that humility and effort that he's put in is something that we can all learn from. I mean, come on. He's like our own homegrown Zizek. He's like our own like national treasure. I think that we really ought to uplift him and give credit where it's due, not just take him for granted and act like, you know, we don't need to. So that's a part of the reason actually why I really appreciate Brian Becker from Singularity and Sublimity podcast. And he's done a lot of amazing teaching work himself. And then the last thing, I'm doing a countrywide tour this year. I will be on the East Coast. I will be on the West Coast. And I will be everywhere in between. So if you want me to come to your town or city, email me. It's down below. If you want to volunteer, be a part of the street team, host or guide while we're there, let me know. I hope to be in a city near you sometime this year, and I hope that you'll take one of my classes. Thanks.